welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Anyway, um, for those of you who were not here last week, we, um, I spoke on the art of godly confrontation and... Um, it went very well, and the feedback that I got was, well, I've never seen it quite like that before, and you actually made it very easy to understand and made it a lot easier for me to be able to put into practice. And so I thought, well, man, I'm just getting started. I've got some more things to say about confrontation. And when we was in the prayer meeting this morning, I just felt God say to me to share some of the thoughts I'm about to share with you tonight. So I've put what I was going to share on hold so that I can share the art of godly confrontation part two. Okay, and so just to quickly recap on last week, we talked about confrontation is key. Confrontation must become our friend. Confrontation is not personal. Many people think about confrontation um, in, the, in the realm of it being personal. And the reason that is, is because we don't move quickly enough. We fester over a particular situation that has happened. It's become personal. And uh, we speak to everyone but the person involved. And so every time we speak to somebody else, one, we're violating what the Scriptures say, but also we are having an emotional release by sharing it, but we're not solving the problem because we're not sharing it with the right person. And so we need to understand that confrontation is not personal. Confrontation is just a conversation. And if it's done soon enough, it can save a lot of pain, hurt, and heartache. Confrontation brings clarity you know, I wouldn't go on record to say I like confrontation, but I would say this, I do like, what I do like about confrontation is that it brings clarity. What you did upset me. What you said annoyed me. It brings clarity. We know where we stand. Did you mean what you said? Yes or no? And it brings clarity. I love it for that reason. It brings clarity. And lastly, we mentioned that confrontation keeps you in position. In other words, you don't have to step down from your position and get involved in everybody else's position or situation. Too many people are dealing with too many other people's problems because we're not going to the source. We're not going to the person. And so confrontation just keeps you in position. If Mick has a problem with me and doesn't go to anybody else, it just keeps all of you doing what you need to do and we can sort it out. Got it? And so then we turn to Genesis chapter 3. You can uh, listen to the message on iPod or MP3. You can download that. All of our messages are available to download on our website or on iTunes free of charge. And uh, we looked at um, what God did when he confronted Adam and Eve after they messed up in the Garden of Eden. And we see that uh, there was intuition, that there was initiative, that God investigates, and uh, then there's some information that is passed on to us to help us. And you can listen to that in your own time. But I want to move from that today and talk about confrontation from a slightly different angle today, so that our confrontation... Assuming we've been stirred and motivated to do something about this area, that when we do it, we would be taken seriously when we do it. That uh, having confronted someone, that um, we would uh, be heard in what we are saying, that we would get a resolution, that we would get a breakthrough. And so, what I want to do is ask you to turn with me to Luke. Chapter 4, Luke was one of the eyewitness accounts uh, of the life of Jesus. He was one of the disciples, uh, those that uh, were with Jesus and, 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 and saw the things that were taking place. And he wrote down the things that he saw. 
And in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. There's a number of things we can draw from this text tonight. I want to look at just three very quickly. And I hope it will help us confront with greater confidence than ever before. Last week, we drew from the example of God himself. Tonight, I want to look at the life of Jesus and what he did when it comes to confrontation. And the first thing I want to look at is simply this, the word credibility. Everyone say credibility. If we are going to confront people with any authority, if we're going to confront people with any desire of being heard and being taken seriously, if we're going to confront anybody and, and, and want to, um, and people to listen to us, then we first must have some credibility before we speak. Many people do not have the credibility, and so whenever they speak, their words fall short of the mark because people don't hear our words because our life is speaking louder than our words. What I love about Jesus, he didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. I believe in order for us to be or have credibility, then we must be an example. People often ask me, what got you into ministry? Well, what you need to understand is I never wanted to be in ministry. I never wanted to be a pastor. It was not the desire for me as a young man growing up. This was not the dream job for me. I'm so grateful to be doing what I do, but it was not the dream job for me. It was not what I desired as a kid. But the reason I'm up here and the reason I gave my life to Christ is because of a man and his example, and that man is my dad. As a young man growing up in a home, that was very black and white. My mum wasn't a Christian. My dad was. My dad never made us go to church. But he lived a certain lifestyle. He lived a certain way. And it fascinated me. His example fascinated me. He never made us go to church. But each night he'd tuck us into bed and he'd tell us Bible stories. And then I'd watch his life. And I just found myself being drawn more and more into wanting to become like him. And so when I was 15 years of age and, and I gave my life to Christ and I got baptised, 
The reason behind that is it was because the credibility that my dad had built up through the way he lived his life. And I was mesmerized by this incredible example. That's what you and I are meant to be. We're meant to be examples. We're meant to speak even when we're not speaking. In actual fact, everything about you says something about you. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what is our life saying to people? Our smile or lack of says something. And so I just fell in love with Jesus because of the example my dad set. And Jesus himself was an incredible example. He was an example in consistency. The text that I've read today starts with this thought that Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, get this, not when he felt like it, not when the sun was shining, not when his kids didn't have sport on. It said he went to church or the synagogue as was his custom. The sad thing for me today is that there are many parents that are raising kids that are going to church when they feel like it. And what they don't understand is the damage they're doing to their kids because they're sending a message that Christianity really doesn't matter. And we're losing our credibility in our message because of the way we're living our life. As a young kid growing up, Dad never made us go to church, but there was no way we were going to stop him going to church. And so we'd go out as a family on Sunday afternoon And I'll never forget it. Dad would be flying home after having a day at the beach, for example. He'd slow down to about 20 kilometres and he'd say, kids, it's time to do the tuck and roll. Dad's got to get to church. And we would literally just jump out the car, roll on the bitumen, (laughs) dust ourselves off. And then there's a bit of me that thought, that's not really fair. Now, that didn't quite happen that way. I'm sure you realise I was joking. But literally, he would drop us off, get out, and then go. But what it did for me as a young boy growing up was, Dad says that this is the greatest message ever, that Jesus has done the greatest thing for him ever. His lifestyle matched his message. And I thank God he did that to me as a young man, that he didn't just miss out on church because I didn't want to go. I thank God that he didn't miss out on church just because I had sport on. Dad never stopped me playing sport on Sunday, but he never went and watched me either. And every game he missed, it built more and more credibility about his message. We need some credibility if we're going to confront with any consistency. Jesus went to church as was his custom. And not only did he go to church, but when he was in church on this particular day, the scroll was handed to him and he opened it up to the book of Isaiah and he found where it was written. In other words, Jesus had a context to where things were written. He knew where things were in the scrolls, which means he he read the scrolls. In order for you to know where something is, you would have to have read the scrolls. In order for you to know where it is written in your Bible, you'd have to read the Bible. Jesus was able to go to the place where it is written because he was a reader of the Word of God. 
Now, I know we're not all going to be Bible scholars here, and I know that we have different memories, and some have photographic memories, so it's going to be easy for you to remember. But, but essentially, we should, we should have a, a daily reading program. We should make church our, our place where we go often, as is our custom, if we're to confront with any consistency. I think we would have greater buy-in if our lifestyle just matched our message. I think half the time we're not fighting people. We're actually fighting the message that we've left through our inconsistency. People struggle to hear us as we would desire them to hear us because our message isn't matching up with our lifestyle. And so if we're going to get this confrontation right, before we say anything, we've got to look at our lives and get some credibility there first. Jesus was able to stand up and speak to the people because he had a little thing called credibility. Well, love him, I hate him. He's always at church. At least he does what he says. One of the biggest problems that the world has with the church right now is that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. And they don't say that just because they hate us. They say that because there's a truth to it. And if we're really going to love on our communities, probably the best way we can love on our community is get some credibility to our lives first. And we don't go to church, we don't read our Bibles just to throw it down people's throats, but we do it for ourselves. I mentioned before about my dad, he, he never made us go to church, he never pushed that down our throat. But he let his life do the talking. And so if we're going to be truly people that know how to confront, it first starts with Credibility. Secondly, you need some clarity. Everyone say clarity. What I love about the life of Jesus, whenever you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus used his words sparingly and thoughtfully. And it always resulted in clarity. Sparingly, thoughtfully equals clarity. Jesus spoke sparingly. He spoke thoughtfully, and it equaled clarity. He actually said on one occasion in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he says, when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans do, because they think that through their many words, they will be heard. Many people think that if I say more, I'll be taken more seriously. And Jesus says, no, no, if you want to know how to pray, then just keep it simple. Keep it heartfelt. Keep it thoughtful. And so when it comes to confrontation, here's my advice. Less is best. Everyone say, less is best. Because when it comes to confrontation, this is what I know to be true. Most of us avoid it. But if we do say yes and we do find ourselves in a situation that we can't get out of and we decide to confront, this is what happens. We use a lot of words. We usually say too much 
Is there an honest person out there that could show me by raising up their hand and say, yeah, I've been guilty of that? Because I, I have. My hand is up. I, I've been guilty of that. And the reason we do that is usually twofold. One is because we're nervous. We use a lot of words when we're nervous. Have you noticed that? And you just find yourself talking and you're listening to yourself. You're having this out-of-body experience. It's like, buddy, what are you trying to say? Have you ever done that? I have. And so often our many words are because we're nervous. And the other one is because of a lack of preparation. We go in the heat of the moment because we've made it personal, which it's not. And we're going to tear that person's head off. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Come on, look at me. You've been guilty of this, haven't you? I'm going to give them a piece of my mind when I see him next time. And we go there and you know what? We find ourselves really, we don't have a lot to say. And so words just keep coming out of our mouths. And so when it comes to confrontation, less is best. And my advice to you would be to avoid the confrontation sandwich. Who knows what the confrontation sandwich is? The confrontation sandwich looks like this. Comfort, confront, comfort. You ever been taught that? Comfort, confront, comfort. It sounds good on paper. The, the ratio of two comforts to one confrontation you think would work in your favour. And on paper, it, it looks good. The trouble is that little scenario... That little equation doesn't factor in human nature. Yeah. Granted, there's twice as much comfort as confrontation going on. But human, nation, human nature doesn't hear like that. Human nature hears one negative, and you can have ten positives, yeah. and you still hear the one negative. That little equation doesn't factor in human nature. And so if I say to Cez, let me, Cez and Nick, they're looking at me, I say, hey, Cez and Nick, you know I love you. What's coming? Who, who's, ever been, who's ever said, hey, Simon, you know I love you? <laughs> what do you think? Do you think at that moment, gee, he loves me? <laughs> See, it doesn't work. Don't kid yourself. It does not work. So I walk up to you, Chantel, I love you. What do you want? It's human nature. So I say, says and Nick, I love you guys. Your baby's really ugly. But seriously, I love you guys. What did you hear? Most people have heard your baby's ugly and that's cool. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. I told them I love them twice. I only mentioned the ugliness of their child once. <laughs> Seriously, comfort, confront. I was taught comfort, confront, and comfort. That should work. That's sold. It doesn't work, does it? So I would say to you, avoid the confrontation sandwich because it doesn't factor in human nature. So how should our confrontation look then? 
Well, in keeping with our culture, let's keep it real. This is how I start all of my meetings when I have to confront somebody. I'll say, hey, Laura, I have to have an awkward conversation with you, and it's not going to be easy for me to say, or it's not going to be easy for you to listen to. It's much better doing that than say, I love you, you're awesome, you know I love Norm, you know I love your kids, you know I appreciate all that you do, I appreciate the fact that this morning you were cleaning, and you know I appreciate all that. It's wasted, no one's listening. They're waiting for the ugly baby comment. So it's much better just to sit someone down and say, you and I need to have an awkward conversation. It's not going to be easy for me. It's not going to be easy for you. But here goes. Please don't have a show of hands who's heard me do that to you in my office. Keep your hands down. It's just, it has to happen. And the great thing about that is it brings, at least we know what this meeting is about. I mentioned before, it's often our many words that blur the edges. And because of our nerves and because of our lack of preparedness, this is often what we will do. We think this is a confrontation. And so I might have something I want to bring up um, with Cess and Nick. We'll go back there. And, and so I'll, I'll say, hey, Cess, you know, you know I love you, man. I appreciate you. you know, how, how's your marriage going? Cool. Fantastic. How you, how, how's that new house of yours? Excellent. Cool. How's the kids going at sport? That's fantastic. Awesome. This is my confrontation. They're like all over the place. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I said, you know, yeah, that's great. Of course, you know, speaking of the kids, just got to be careful, you know, when it comes to raising kids these days, you know, because, you know, we're just going to be careful how we do that, you know, as parents, you know, and all, because, you know, people are watching and we've just got to be careful of that. So, you know, I, I just, I just, you know, just want thought of, just felt to kind of share that with you. And so, you know, so I, I, I trust that, you know, you don't take any offense at that. That's fine. Okay. And so anyway, you know, I trust, you know, your marriage is all right. You and Nicola, it's fantastic. It's awesome. God Hey, look, man, seriously, I have to get you guys around for dinner sometime soon. That'd be great. In actual fact, what's your favourite movie? Hey, look, Man of Steel's coming out. Why don't we go see Man of Steel? That'd be brilliant. Ah, oh, cool. And we drive us out. Oh, man, had this great meeting with Says. It was awesome. Oh, I told him. I gave him what for about his parenting. You know, people were saying stuff about his kids. I've told him. He's... Do you know how many people I've followed up after they've had that conversation? And the person has no idea that that other person was trying to confront them about an aspect of their parenting. Because we think through our many words. In actual fact, there was so much information in that little meeting. Says would have a plethora of opportunities to take from it. I might go, hey, I heard uh, Mick caught up with you the other day, and how did that go? Yeah, great. We're, man, I love Mick. We're going to see Man of Steel. That's what he got out of it. <laughs> but I'm thinking, Mick just told me he confronted you about your parenting. Don't think for a moment that you'll be heard with your many words. When it comes to confrontation, it's best to put aside all the other things, the movies, the marriage, all those other things, and get it down to what I want to talk to you about. If we were to give ourselves half a chance of being heard and taken seriously, we need to speak with clarity. And so throw away the mouldy comfort sandwich or confrontation sandwich. It doesn't work. 
Create a moment to be able to talk about the very thing you want to talk about at the expense of all other things. And once you've sorted out your issue, then go see Man of Steel. (laughs) It's not rocket science. Jesus was very clear. He used his words thoughtfully and sparingly, and so should we. Which brings me to my last point tonight, and that is authority. Now, authority comes from God. In the text in Luke 4, Jesus, who had just previously been to the desert and fasted for 40 days, had been in the presence of God, says he came back full of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 4, he reads out of the book of Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do, and he lists a whole heap of things that the anointing will do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. To set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, to set the oppressed free. Jesus was, had incredible authority because he lived in the presence of God. See, without the authority behind our words, we're not going to change anything. And authority comes with the touch of God. See, you can't just learn this. There are some things we can learn, and then, then, then we need the touch of God on what we do. I stood up here this morning and mentioned we need an extra $1,000 to bring it from $9,000 to $10,000. And when you speak at that level, particularly money, people can get very cynical. But there was a touch of God on it and it's moved people's hearts. It's not just words. And without asking, any, without asking again, the money came in. I don't think we can do confrontation the way God intended without us getting in his presence and having the touch of God upon what we say and what we do. Authority enables you to stop something and to turn something around. You get some guy who stands in front of traffic and puts his hand out like that, he'll probably get run over. But you give him authority by giving him a badge. And that same person has been powered from a higher source to be able to stand in front of a car and stop a car. When people uh, don't like what they're hearing and you've got to confront people, they usually argue and you go, stop it! Enough! And you can stop it. That same policeman can not only stop it, I can turn and say, no, it's a dead end. You need to turn around. You're going the wrong way. Go, wrong way, go back. Many people are just heading down the wrong path. I've had the privilege and joy this week alone of catching up with so many people and seeing them just leave different. It's the sweetest thing when you can speak with a touch of God on your words to be able to turn people from where they are and how they're thinking to just leaving thinking bigger and thinking clearly. 
I've had this said to me three times just this week alone. Wow, it's like as I was talking, something lifted off me. I said, yes, it did. I can see it. Your countenance has changed. The question for you is what put that weight on you? Stay away from that. It's not enough just to answer people's questions. We are not here to answer people's questions. We are here to help people think bigger and better. This notion that I've heard Mick's side of the story, now I want to hear Katie's side of the story. That will get you nowhere. We need a touch of God. I don't want to know Mick's side, I don't want to know Katie's side. I want to know, do you love each other? Yes, well that's all that matters. Let's work through it then, come on. Stop it. It's too small. That's what's missing, I believe, today. The touch of God. God so loved the world that He sent His Son to touch people. He didn't send the church, He didn't love the world to set up an institution called the church where we can play games. He didn't do that. He set up the church where people could come and get a touch from God. To have them stop dead in their tracks. Turn around. And go in a different direction. That's what repentance is all about. Before coming to Christ, we were heading this way. And God got in our face. And we turned around and said, you're right, Lord. There's a bigger way. There's a better way. Jesus only answered three of the questions directly that he was ever asked. Do you know why? Because most questions that were asked of Jesus weren't worthy of an answer. The questions were too small. The questions were off the track. Jesus' role was to help people think bigger and better. You've heard it said, love your family, love your friends. I want to tell you something else. I'm going to get you to think bigger. Love your enemies. What kind of answer is that? It's a bigger one. It's a better one. It's a more helpful one. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was there empowered to do. He wasn't empowered just to play church games. He wasn't empowered to come down the front of a meeting, just shake, rattle and roll and fall over. That's not the point of the anointing. It's to help you do life. It's to help you to live above circumstances and above situations. It's this touch from God and God wants to touch people's lives and give you authority and power from on high. So that when you speak, you speak with one with authority. It says of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I believe when I speak that God would use my words to open people's eyes, that you come today thinking a certain way and you can leave thinking something bigger and something better. But this I also know. Sometimes, for whatever reason, people just refuse to change. But the anointing can help me to open my eyes to their inability or lack of desire to want to change. And so I can exercise wisdom now because the Spirit of God has anointed me and He's opened my eyes to see where people are at to let them go. See, I think sometimes we make people our hobby horses and our pet projects and we use them as a pawn in our game.
The Bible knows nothing of it. Jesus would teach and some people would come to him and others would leave. And he never chased them. Because his eyes were open to where they were at. You know, in Luke chapter 15, there are three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Now, the parable of the lost sheep is emphasizing an aspect of the heart and love of God. And he tells this story about the shepherd that has a hundred sheep and and the good shepherd will always go after the one lost sheep. He'll leave the 99 safe ones to go after the one lost one. The context to that story is lostness. The context of that story is uh, a little sheep eating his grass, head down, tail up, gets further and further away from the pack. He chases a butterfly He goes to a dandelion, chews on that, sees a bee, runs away from the bee, and pretty soon he's disconnected from the pack. He didn't run away. He's lost. Any parents out there that have lost their children? You do all you can to get that lost child back. We lost our kids in the supermarket. I've shared this before. And we let go of the two that were safe to find the one that was lost. I think when we came back with the lost one, we lost the other two, but that's another story. (laughs) And that's what that picture is about. It's about the heart of God that will go after the lost sheep. It also tells a story about the lost son. We would know it more commonly as the prodigal son. The wasteful son. That's what the word prodigal means, wasteful. And this child is not like the lost sheep. He goes to his dad and said, I've had enough of living under your rules. I don't want to come to this house anymore. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. And the father gives him his inheritance. There's wisdom at play here. And from the moment that child received his inheritance, the father never went after him. This is what the anointing will do. It will give you wisdom to know who to chase and who not to chase. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and that Spirit has given me wisdom to know who to chase and who not to chase. And the prodigal son goes off and does all his things. He squanders his wealth. He ends up eating pig food, and he has an epiphany. I was better at home, which is exactly where the father wanted him to be. He came to his knees, he came to his senses, he came home. And as the boy was a long way off, the father ran to him, waiting for that day. Because he was now ready. And so the the touch of God will help us in our confrontation. So you might say, I've confronted, I've done everything you said, they're still not listening. That's fine, back off. There comes a time you've got to let people go. And I feel like that's a word for some here, particularly with parents. I've done everything you've said, Tony, they're still not listening. That's fine, let them go. In space, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to know who to spend time with and who not to spend time with. Who to talk with and who I just pray for from a distance. And in the meantime, while we're waiting for those prodigals to return, we keep our heart pure so that we can be like the Father to embrace them when they come. 
and don't have to make them jump through a whole heap of hoops. And so there's some things that we can do in the natural, keep it short, be clear. But I'm telling you, if we're going to get the breakthrough, if we're going to get the resolution we so desire, we need a touch from heaven. We need the touch of God. If we don't have that, we might as well shut up shop. We might as well shut the church doors and just become a club. I think what separates the church from every other organization out there is the touch from heaven. Confrontation is unavoidable. So please stop avoiding confrontation. But confrontation must be done skillfully. And I trust that these last two weeks have gone some ways to helping us do confrontation better than we've ever done it before. And if you haven't done much of it before, by virtue of it being new for you, we're not going to get it right first time. But I want to encourage you to put this into practice and to ask God for help. Because there's nothing sweeter, there's nothing better than seeing someone's countenance change as the Spirit of God has come in between you and the person you're speaking to and wisdom prevail. That's what we want to see. I'm tired of winning arguments. I don't want to win an argument anymore. I don't want to win another argument in my life. What I want to see is resolution. I want to see wisdom prevail. I want to see God breaking in. I want to see people that are hurt saying, I'm hurt. Yes, thank you, Lord. I'm harboring unforgiveness and bitterness. Yes, that's, that's a starting point. Let's keep it real. You know, the, the, life can be tough enough as it is. Just, just facing the realities is what we have to face. But when you have to face the realities and then pretend on top of that that it's okay, that's... That's a burnout waiting to happen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. And he's upon me for a purpose, and it's not to be selfish. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to help others, to open the eyes of the blind, to heal the sick, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the good news. Mick and Katie, this is what I know. This is the good news. Jesus loves you. And I know Mick that Katie loves you. And I know Katie that Mick loves you. That's the good news. Let that break in. And I'm telling you, when God touches a situation, all of our arguments just pale. You don't want all the answers to all your questions. We want to touch from God. Let's stand to our feet. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.